here this morning. As we begin a new series, probably the series will be somewhere around five or six or seven weeks. And again, if I'm too loud, you're just going to have to adjust that system. So, As we begin, let me encourage you to do this. If you've not purchased this little book called What is the Gospel, how many do we have of these? We have enough. If you haven't purchased this, let me encourage you to do so. Not only will it help you to follow along in what we're talking about in the class because we're going to outline and kind of cover basically what the author talks about. We won't do it word for word. We'll embellish it. We'll leave things out or whatever. But it's also, I think, an excellent reference for you to have in your library from time to time to reacquaint yourself with the basics of the gospel. You know, we've heard Bill Treby repeatedly say, as he has quoted someone else, preach the gospel to yourself repeatedly. So let me encourage you to get this. I don't know how much it is. Uh, Evan, how much are these? $12? Okay. $10? All right. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Thank you a lot. Thank you very much. Some of you want to pay $50 for it. We'd be so glad for you to do that just for the ministry. The pastors don't get about, we get, I think, 50% of everything. So, yeah, exactly. Well, let's begin this morning. Father, thank you so much. Fathers, we study your word. What a miracle. What a miracle that you would make yourself known to us and that you would not do it only in the sense that you exist and that you create and you have great power, but mostly you've made yourself known to us most intimately, most personally in the Lord Jesus. And you have given to us this word, this living and abiding word. The very truth, the very reality, the very experience of who you are, not of how you are. Father, we give you praise for this, that this word may be the life the food, the meat, the drink that nourishes us and builds us up in our souls. Father, that we may be a people who increasingly are going to your word and receiving of your word and obeying your word. Father, thank you for the opportunity of studying this most central subject, the gospel. Father, would you cause this study not only to be academic because we know it needs to be that, but Father, would you cause this study to be transferred from just being academic and knowledgeable to being a living experience, continuing to transform us by the gospel into a greater reality of the work 
and the experience and the life of the gospel. Father, thank you for this. As we submit ourselves to you beginning this morning through this series, in Jesus' name, amen. Come on down here. There are a lot of tables up front here. Don't be bashful. Come on down. You know, if someone were to ask you, what is the most significant thing in your life? If at work or in the restaurant or you're being interviewed by the news media, and someone were to ask you, what is singularly the most significant thing, information, revelation, whatever, in your life, what would you say? A lot of people would say it's my job. A lot of people would say, of course, it's my family, my health. There'd be a lot of answers. But listen to what the Lord says about the most significant thing in our life. And I read from Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. And here is what Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel, is saying concerning this is the central and most significant thing in our life. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, I am the Lord, who practices steadfast love justice and righteousness in the earth for in these things I delight declares the Lord this is the most significant information we can have on earth because this is the information which not only transforms us on earth but takes us and prepares us for an eternal dwelling before the presence of this God forever and so there is no more significant thing we can know and understand than to know and understand God. And, of course, you are proof of that because you're here at quarter to nine in the morning. Now, how do we come to know and understand God? How can we understand and know God the way he wants to be understood and known? You notice what I said. How can we understand and know God the way he says we are to understand and know him? Because there are a lot of attempts to understand and know God out there in the world. There are thousands upon thousands of ways man says that we can understand and know God. Yet there is only one way to understand and know him the way he says it must happen. And I quote from Romans 10, 14 on. But how are they to call upon him, call upon him to understand and to know him? to come to want to have a relationship with him. How can they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And the word good news is there the gospel, how to come to understand and know God. There's only one word. There's one word that sums up how we can come to understand and know and have a living and abiding, joy-filled, spiritually successful life. That one word, 
which encapsulates the entire process and the entire relationship, that one word is the gospel. That's the word that the Bible uses, the good news that encapsulates everything that God wants to talk about, wants to share about, wants to give us, wants to accomplish in our lives, the gospel. You know, the Apostle Paul knew that the gospel was the most important issue in his life. If you were to hang around Paul, you would hear him talk about the gospel repeatedly. In fact, he emphasizes and uses the word gospel in his writings over and over and over again. And so this morning, as we begin the study of the gospel, as I said, we're going to use this little book by Greg Gilbert, What is the Gospel?, And we're going to use this as our reference as we travel through and begin to understand and unpack the elements of the gospel. How many of you have friends or relatives who are not saved? Everybody's hand should go up. I mean, I think everybody has a friend or relative who is not saved. And that relative or that friend comes to you and he says, What's the gospel? What is the gospel? What would you say? I'd like you just to take a moment in your notes if you have space, and I think you've possibly been left some space, although maybe not enough, maybe on the back page. Would you take a moment and take a pen? There are pens back there if we don't have enough. If you need a pen, you can raise your hand, and Steve Roberts back there will be glad to distribute pens, or Evan is back there. If you need a pen, just raise your hand. We'll give you one. But your friend, your relative comes to you in great earnest and he says, what is the gospel? Write out your definition. What would you tell that person? Just take a moment. What would you tell that person in your definition of the gospel? Hopefully, we can put that definition in succinctly powerful words that are not too many for people. What is the gospel? And what I'd like you to do is during the next several weeks, keep this definition aside. And on the last time that we teach on the last Sunday morning, we're going to ask you to write the definition of the gospel. And the purpose of this is this. Some of you have an excellent, strong, effective understanding of the gospel, and some of you don't. What we want to accomplish in this exercise is this, to let you see how much you have learned You know, typically in the class, we don't realize how much we've learned because every week there's a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of the other. And one of the things which I would regularly do as a school teacher is to give a test up front. Oh, Mr. Davidson, we're just starting class and you're going to give us a test? Why? 
because it is extremely important for us as human beings to know how and what and how much we're progressing. It's very encouraging for you to see at the end of the course, wow, look what I have learned. Because most of us are not aware of how much we're learning unless we see something of what we had in the beginning and what it ends up to be. Listen to this from our textbook. And if you have a textbook, you may want to follow along on page 15. I'm at the bottom of page 15, and I'm going to read into the next page. Concerning definitions of the gospel. At the bottom of page 15, Greg Gilbert says this, My sense is that far too many Christians would answer with something far short of what the Bible holds out as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe they'd answer, the gospel is that God forgive, will forgive your sins if you believe in him. Or they'd say something like, the good news is that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Or the gospel is that you are a child of God and God wants his children to be abundantly successful in every way. Some would know that it's important to say something about Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. But then again, how does all that fit in? And let's turn to page 18. And on pages 18 and 19 and 20, we're not going to read them today, but he just has quoted from several mainline minister, ministers or ministries concerning definitions of the gospel. And what I'd like you to do, not today, but at some time or another, read these definitions. Read them now, like today or tomorrow, and take notes concerning deficiencies, strengths that you see in these definitions. And then at the end of the course, at the end of the six weeks or so, go back and reread these definitions and see if you agree with what your assessment was in the beginning or do you agree with what they are saying you see because the difficulty is there are all kinds of definitions of the gospel and they vary all over the place and we as the people of God must understand clearly and succinctly what the definition of the gospel really is because, you see, if we have weak definitions or fuzzy definitions of the gospel, this may produce a weak or a fuzzy evangelism and is going to produce, for sure, weak and fuzzy growth in Christ. So it's imperative that we have a correct definition. You know, while there are many opinions out there, there are many opinions, even within the church, there are many ways of saying what the gospel is, so it is said. There's just many ways of putting the gospel. No. You see, there's only one way to put the gospel. There's only one definition of the gospel. And it must include the elements that the Bible says it includes. You see, I can give you a definition of the gospel which is going to be somewhat different using verbs and words and, and uh, nouns and pronouns and a sentence structure that is different than yours. That's okay. What I mean is when I say differences, we have to have a definition that lines up with what the Bible says is the gospel. That's the significance. That's the standard. What does the Bible say? There's only one truth, and that truth is the word of God. Listen to this scripture, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. Perhaps all of you are already ready, ready familiar with it. All scripture 
How much did he say? All Scripture. That means even the Scripture that has to do with those issues that we don't like or don't even agree with or wish weren't in the Bible. All Scripture. Even those genealogies and those strange things that the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, talks about. Every Scripture is breathed out or anointed by God. And every Scripture, all Scripture, is profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man or the person of God, the man, the woman, the people of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So what is our equipping? The Word of God. Where must our definition of the gospel come? From the Word of God. It must be based in the Word of God. Therefore, you see, the gospel we share must be what the Bible says. The gospel that we share must contain the elements that the Bible gives through its pages. It can't leave out an element. Now, it doesn't mean that every element must be equally emphasized as we will see. But every element of the gospel must be in the presentation when we share with someone concerning what is the gospel, how to be saved, what does God want for your life. You see, it must include what the Bible includes. The emphasis that we put on the gospel must be the same emphasis that the Bible has so that it will be God's power to save and sanctify his people. So it not only must contain the same elements, but it must emphasize these elements in the same way that the Bible emphasizes it. In your book on page 21 at the bottom, the author is talking about this concerning the emphases of the gospel and how people present the gospel and what's contained in the gospel. He says, fourth, I hope that this book will help to shore up the edges of the gospel in your mind and heart. In other words, shore up what we've been talking about and what we're presenting and what we're emphasizing. The gospel is a stark message, and it intrudes into the world's thinking and priorities with sharp bracing truths. Sadly, there has always been a tendency among Christians, even among evangelicals, those who, like we are, to soften. Now, get this. There has always been a tendency to soften some of the edges so that the gospel will be more readily acceptable to the world. You know, there is a tendency among us that we have a desire, certainly, for someone or others to be saved. That's good. But there's a tendency, well, if I say certain words, if I emphasize certain aspects of the gospel, I'm going to run people away. May I say something to you very calmly? It is impossible to run those whom God will save away. It is impossible to run away, cause those to run away from the gospel, those whom God is saving. It's not going to happen. Whom God has foreknown, he will save, and that will always and only be by the preaching, the ministry of the word of the gospel. 
of Jesus Christ. There is no such thing. Certainly, we are not to be obnoxious. But even if we become obnoxious, the content of the gospel will save God's people. Don't ever think you have to ameliorate, soften, put it in a pretty language, discuss it enough and try to talk people into something. You simply have to know what the elements of the gospel are and preach faithfully and present the same way that the Bible presents it, and God, the Holy Spirit, will save them all. So if the Bible uses the word hell, I use the word hell. Why? Who? Don't say that, man. That's not good today. We need to say what the Bible says. Can you say amen? There is a tendency to soften some of the edges. And you may be like this. I, I feel this in myself when I'm sharing things. How many of you feel this, this tendency to say, you know, I, I just, how far should I go? Sh- should I soften this? Anybody, I feel this. I'm not sure if the people who hear me understand that I feel that, but I feel that. Coffee house the other day, I was minding my own business again. I'm always minding my own business. And I'm standing up there stirring my coffee. And the man who runs the place says something. And I said, you know, this is exactly what the Lord in the Bible has prophesied in the last days. He says, oh, and he walks away. (laughs) He didn't let me get beyond that. (laughs) But you know what? The next day, I'm back. So I drop another word or two. You see, when you go fishing... You may not catch that trout the first time, but you put your hook back in the water and bait it with the gospel, and God is going to have his people bite that hook every time. There's not going to be one person left out of heaven whom God will save. Not one. Not one. At the bottom, one of my prayers is that this book will serve to preserve these edges and prevent the erosion of truths that, though hard for the world to swallow, are indispensable to the good news of Jesus. All of us attempted in the name of being winsome witnesses to present the gospel in as attractive a way as possible. That's fine in some respects. It is good news after all. But we must also be careful not to round off the gospel's sharp edges. We must preserve the edges, and I hope that this book will help to do that. You remember the gospel that was presented in Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter? Whew, you ought to go back and read that presentation. That would have emptied an alpha room. Nobody coming back on that one. That preacher's crazy. And yet, the sharp edges of the gospel pierced their hearts. The Bible says their hearts were pierced. Why? By the sharp edges of the gospel. The question is this. Do you want to pierce 
their hearts with the gospel, or do you just want to soothe them with the easy, rounded edges of the gospel? We want their hearts to be pierced so they will be saved. Their hearts will pierce, and they said, what must we do to be saved? Do you remember the story? Some of you see the movie. I mean, did you see it? In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, the sharpness of the gospel. You see, I, I really believe that Jesus today would not be hired by many churches to be their evangelistic director. I mean, think about it. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. I mean, like, oh, don't do that. That's not grace. We have to get the Bible's understanding and the taste of the gospel the way the Bible does it. Does it always mean you yell? No, but sometimes it does. Does it always mean you talk softly? No, but sometimes you do. You see, God will let us know how to present it and what to present, but we must have the knowledge in order to do that. Our purpose is to present the gospel in the way the Bible says it. Remember, it is the scripture that is the basis and the foundation and the content of the gospel. Why? Because God's righteousness is being displayed in the gospel. Why is it so important? Because of what we're going to talk about next. Why? Is this so important? I mean, brother, can't we just share with people, you know, Alice, God loves you. And if you will just turn to Jesus, you can have a relationship with him. Will you pray for Jesus to give you a relationship? That's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. Not the gospel in this book. It's not the gospel preached by the apostles. It contains a whole lot more than that. Am I wrong to say God loves you? No. Am I wrong to say God wants a relationship with you? No, he does. Am I wrong to say pray? No. But we've left out too much. There's just a lot that needs to be said and built in before we can get to some of these other places. Because I know what you're going to say when you leave. Peter said we can't tell people God loves them. What is the significance of the gospel? The Bible tells us that the gospel is God's means of doing three things. Now, it doesn't say this on a particular page, the gospel, whatever. This is taken from the word of God in general. Here's the significance and the centrality and the necessity of the gospel. First thing, the gospel does what? Saves. God uses the gospel to save. Everyone in this room who is saved, and I hope all of you are saved, every one of us who are saved have been saved through one message only, and that is the message of the gospel as it is biblically defined and communicated. You are here today having been forgiven, having the Holy Spirit residing in you, 
having the hope of glory, looking for heaven as your permanent home. Why? Because you have heard and you embraced, you believed the gospel. So that in itself should say how central the gospel is. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Where do we find that? In Romans 1, 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God to make us feel better. It is the power of God to give me a better job and to help me in my relationships. No. Those things may come or they may not come. The gospel is God's power to what? Save those who believe it. It not only is the God's, God's means of saving, it's also God's means of sanctifying. We have to be very careful that we don't relegate the gospel to just the word saved. To be born again, accept Christ, be born into his kingdom, that's the gospel. Now, everything else, well, I, you know, I don't know how the gospel fits into this, but that's the gospel over there. The gospel is just for telling the lost they need to be saved, sharing with them how they can be saved, getting them saved by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? That's the gospel. Now what are we going to do? The same gospel that saves me is the same gospel that God continues to use. It's no different. It is the same gospel that God continues to use to sanctify or mature me or conform me into the image of his son. So let's be very careful that we understand the totality and the largeness of the gospel. The gospel is God's message from the very beginning to the very end. And so it is a message of God that sanctifies us. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God that you, your sanctification. The gospel is God's means of sanctifying us, of keeping us going, and of maturing us. If it isn't, how are we being matured? If it's apart from the gospel, then what are we depending upon and what are we eating as far as spiritual food is concerned if it's not the gospel? And not only are we sanctified, saved and sanctified by the gospel, but we are also what? Secured by the gospel. Secured by the gospel. The gospel is that great work of God to save me, to sanctify me, and to secure me for how long? All the way. All the way. So as we think about the gospel, let's not think about it in small ways. Let's think about the gospel as God's great umbrella over all of his people, under which all of his people stand to receive all of the work of God. It is the all-encompassing work of God, the gospel. And hopefully as a result of these classes, we will come to have a much larger understanding and a larger context and a greater appreciation, therefore a greater experience 
of this huge word, gospel, the good news. Remember in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 9, the apostle Paul is irritated to no end. This man is angry. He is fuming. Smoke is coming out of his ears and flames are coming out of his eyes and a sword of truth is coming out of his mouth. This guy is smoking. This minister of grace, this apostle of love is angry and upset and irritated and concerned. Why? Because you see, He had preached the gospel on his first missionary journey going through the region of Galatia. And these people were saved having heard the message of the gospel. And then later it is reported to Paul that others had come into the church and had begun to say, yeah, 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 you're saved by the gospel. But, you know, in order for you now to be kept saved and to be sanctified and now to walk in a way that you should, here are some rules that you have to follow. And these Judaizers put down the rule of circumcision. But it doesn't matter what rule. Now, the only rule I like is having to come to Sunday school. But, you know, I can't get away with that. You know, if God in some way would allow me just to say, if you come to Sunday school, you're saved, and if you don't. And something had come in. Listen, listen to the word I'm going to use. It's not the right word, but it's a word that we need to hear. Someone, something had come in to tweak the gospel. I'm just going to say tweak. Tweak. You know what tweak means? Just a little change. I mean, come on, brother. It's just a little tweak. It's a sweet little word, isn't it? Tweak. Someone had come in to tweak the gospel. You know what Paul's reaction was to the tweaking of the gospel? Let them go to hell. Oh, he doesn't say that. Oh, really? You You haven't understood the word anathema, have you? It says, let them burn forever in hell. Oh, Paul, it's being very unkind. I mean, this is just the way I present the gospel. This is just my way of presenting it. This apostle is burning with holy indignation. Why? Because the tweaking of the gospel or the diminishing of certain issues or perhaps the leaving out of something that someone may not like is a monumental attack against the righteousness of God himself. And he says there is no different gospel, although they think they're preaching a different one. They're preaching another gospel, which is not another gospel because there is only one gospel. So don't ever think that I'm too loud or too demanding or too aggressive. I'm nothing compared to Paul. Nothing. I'm nothing. Nothing. You see, these men burned 
with passion for the gospel. See, when we are hearing the gospel being shared, if we hear something tweak or left out, it doesn't mean you rise up as a Mount Vesuvius and consume any, everyone around you. That's my ministry. It means that you gird up the loins of your mind, take a hold of the reins of your thoughts, and in love for God's truth, interject what's missing or correct what's going awry. Let's be that kind of people for the sake of the gospel of the honor of God. You see, any other gospel, any tweaking brings condemnation. What is the Scripture's testimony? The gospel is the central and controlling message of both Old and New Testament. It's the central and controlling message from the very beginning to the very end. The gospel message and activity begins in Genesis chapter 3. And it travels to its fruition and is completed in Revelation chapter 22. It is the message of the entire Bible. And my personal opinion on this, and you may vary with my opinion, but I believe the first words of the gospel are found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. I believe those are the very first words of the gospel. In verse 6 of chapter 3 of Genesis, the Bible says about Adam, and he ate. Remember, he disobeyed. And then in chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord comes down into the garden, and he says this, Adam, Adam, where are you? God knew Adam and Eve behind the broccoli bushes. He knew that. He knew that. See, that's why broccoli isn't good for you. (laughs) The first words of the gospel are these. My people, where are you? Look at where you are. The beginning of the message. Look at your condition. He doesn't come back and say, Adam, I love you. Come back to me. He doesn't do that. The first words of this loving God is this. Look at what you're doing, your condition. Look at where you are. Because if you will look at where you are and understand that from God's perspective, you will, as God moves, call out and come to the Lord. Where are you, Adam? Where are you? The gospel is from God. God is the author of the gospel. Everything about the gospel is authored by God. 1 Corinthians one twenty one. For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, the gospel, to save those who believe. You can take all the books that have ever been written by anybody at any time and put them in the biggest room in the world. All of those books of man's mind and 
intellect, and wisdom, all of them together, you will not find out how to be saved. You will not find the gospel in any of them. The gospel is in one book, the Word of God, the Bible. The gospel is not only from God. The gospel is about God. You see, if we ask what is the gospel about, we may have various answers, but there's only one answer that the Bible gives. The gospel is about God. It's from God, and it's about God. Listen to what Paul says in the very beginning of Romans. In Romans 1, he says, the gospel for the gospel. Romans, Paul says, the gospel of God, remember that prepositional phrase going back, relating to the word gospel, it's an adjective phrase, concerning his son. The gospel is about God. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. How does Mark 1 begin? The beginning of the gospel of Mark 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is about God, and the gospel is for God. God is the primary beneficiary of the gospel. You know, if we would say, why preach the gospel? Well, we want to preach the gospel because we want people saved. Well, that's true, but that's not the primary truth. The great truth that should move us in the gospel is that the gospel proclaims the glory of God through the salvation of men and women. You see, God is the great beneficiary, and we are the secondary beneficiaries because God desires to proclaim his goodness and share his greatness with his creation. Therefore, we have a gospel And he is magnified and glorified in this, that the gospel is being used by the Holy Spirit to save those who believe. God is the major, the primary, the foundational benefactor of the gospel. So let's be careful when we share the gospel, not to be so preoccupied with people's responses and people's needs and be more preoccupied with God's purpose and God's glory in sharing the gospel and secondarily about the people with whom we are sharing the gospel. The gospel is from God. It's about God and it's for God. Romans 1.17, for in it, the gospel, the word it refers back to the gospel in verse 16, for in it, what? The righteousness of God is revealed. Why is the gospel so important? Because the gospel is the only message that portrays God rightly. And if we mess with the message in any way, tweaking it or doctoring it, It is God's rightness and the right revelation of who God is that is being tweaked and adjusted. It is critical that we know the gospel, that we understand the gospel, that we have a a wonderful understanding and grasp of all the elements of the gospel. Why? Because Romans 1.17, in it, in the gospel, 
the revelation of God's righteousness. It is God's righteousness that is being revealed through the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, the second part, the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So this is an overview today. This is an introduction into what we'll be talking about over the next several weeks. And hopefully this morning, what has happened in us is this. We have been given motivation to want to know more, to dig more deeply, and to be able to not only share but live more adequately, spiritually successfully, by the gospel. I'm hoping this morning that even this morning with these brief words, that the understanding of the gospel has become larger in your mind, and not only larger but weightier, weightier, more significant, because this is God's message about himself to the world. Next week, if you would look and study, read, underline, outline, however you want to do it, peruse chapter one of our textbook, that's where we'll be next week. Thank you so much for coming.